If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Sandra Cantu? Sandra Cantu was born in Tracy, California on March 8, 2001. Her mother's name is Maria Chavez, and her father is Daniel Cantu. She lived with her mother, Maria, her grandmother, and three older siblings in Orchards Estates Mobile Home Park. This is just off Interstate 205 in Tracy, California. Tracy is about one hour east of San Francisco and has a population of about 78,000. At the time of the crime, Sandra was eight years old in the second grade. Her mother and father had separated and were in ongoing dispute about child support payments. The trailer park where Sandra lived contained about 100 trailers. Sandra and her family knew many people in the trailer park fairly well. She frequently played with friends in various trailers. Sandra knew never to leave the neighborhood. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. On March 27, 2009, Sandra came home from school. She walked to a friend's trailer at 2.45 p.m., but the friend's mother, Melissa Huckabee, turned her away. Melissa was a 28-year-old Sunday school teacher at the Clover Road Baptist Church, which was half a block away. Her grandfather was the pastor there. Sandra went to another girl's trailer to play after being turned away by Melissa. Her mother became concerned when she did not come home to eat dinner. She contacted several people in the neighborhood, but nobody knew where Sandra was. Her mother then called the police. There was only one surveillance camera that captured Sandra that afternoon. It showed her crossing the street in front of her home and looking back across the street before she moves out of frame. This was at 3.54 p.m. At 4.02 p.m., Melissa Huckabee's Kia Sportage SUV can be seen driving in the opposite direction Sandra had been walking. At 5 p.m., Melissa called the manager of the trailer park and reported that a suitcase had been stolen from her trailer sometime around 4 p.m. She made this call from Clover Road Baptist Church. Again, she was a Sunday school teacher at that church. Investigators interviewed Melissa several times and found her to be peculiar, but they assumed she was looking for attention. They did not think her claim 
about the stolen suitcase indicated that she was involved in some type of crime. An extensive search was conducted, but there was no sign of Sandra. The police ruled out Sandra's father. He was not in Tracy at the time of her disappearance. The FBI became involved in the case. Investigators set out to interview everybody in the trailer park who had a criminal record. As it turns out, this was a big job. There were a lot of people who fit this criterion in the trailer park, so many that law enforcement officers felt a little bit overwhelmed. During an interview for a documentary, one special agent said the neighborhood was filled with people on probation and parole and, quote, other weirdos, unquote. I'm surprised he would be so comfortable saying that. Not that there is any doubt that law enforcement has a bias against people with criminal records. Investigators ruled out a number of people in this case, including a man who had kissed Sandra at a local swimming pool two years earlier, and an unfamiliar ice cream truck driver who was in the neighborhood that afternoon. The next day, Melissa Huckabee approached investigators during a vigil held for Sandra. She was breathing quickly and crying. She told them that she had found a note on the ground. They followed her to the location of the note. The note read, Cantu locked in stolen suitcase, thrown in water on Bachetti Road and Whitehall Road. It was signed, Witness. After being led to this note, the authorities were convinced Melissa was involved. They had a hard time believing it was just a coincidence that she would report a stolen suitcase and find a mysterious note referencing that same suitcase. Also, why would the perpetrator include the status of the suitcase by specifying it was stolen? Was this to differentiate the suitcase from all the other non-stolen suitcases in the water? How many people throw suitcases in bodies of water in this area? Is that like some type of tradition where there are so many that you have to specify stolen versus non-stolen? On April 6, a dairy farm worker found a suitcase floating in a pond. The police were called. Inside the suitcase was Sandra's body. The autopsy revealed that Sandra had a prazolam in her system, which is the generic version of Xanax. Sandra had been the victim of an assault of a sexual nature. She was strangled with a torn piece of cloth. The suitcase belonged to Melissa Huckabee. It was the same one that she reported as stolen. A retired U.S. Marine and his wife contacted the police to report something they had seen. On March 27, the day that Sandra disappeared, the couple was driving when they spotted an SUV parked on the shoulder near Bachetti Road between 5.30 and 6 p.m. This was near the same irrigation pond where the suitcase containing Sandra's body was found. The couple stopped to investigate and encountered Melissa walking back toward their SUV. She appeared to be in a rush and distracted. When they spotted her, Melissa made it seem as though she had stopped to urinate. Investigators were able to identify Melissa Huckabee on surveillance video captured outside the parking lot of Clover Road Baptist Church. After she left the church, she was spotted by that couple, so that's where their testimony kind of fits in, and then she returned to the church. So investigators were able to track Melissa's movements fairly well with all these various sources. They knew where she was. They searched the church. In the kitchen, they found a rolling pin with a bent handle. Sandra's DNA and Melissa's blood were on it. They also noticed that one of the window blinds was missing a draw cord. It matched a cord that had been used to tie the suitcase closed. During a search of Melissa's trailer, investigators found a notebook. The writing in the notebook matched the note 
as did the indentations on the pages. There was no question Melissa was the author of the note referring to Sandra and the suitcase. Investigators found an article on Melissa's computer about a child who was murdered and put in a suitcase. The suitcase was then thrown into a body of water and recovered later. The police found a blue sticky note in Melissa's SUV. She had written something on it, but then scribbled it out. They were able to see the words, machete, whitehall, and water, referring to the location of the pond. On April 10, Melissa returned home from the hospital after allegedly attempting to bring an end to her own life. By this time, investigators had tapped her phone lines. They heard her on the phone inviting Sandra's older sister to come over to her trailer. The police rushed to Melissa's trailer, concerned that she would kill again. They asked Melissa to drive to the police station for another interview, which she did. After being interviewed for several hours, Melissa admitted to being involved, but she said there was no murder. She was playing hide-and-seek with Sandra and forgot about her. Sandra suffocated as a result. The death was accidental. Melissa was arrested for murder. On May 10, 2010, as part of a plea deal, Melissa pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and kidnapping. She was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Now moving to my analysis. Melissa Huckabee had an extensive mental health history, which included diagnoses for schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Now usually if somebody meets the full criteria for both of these disorders, they would be diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. That disorder is like a combination of symptoms from schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Perhaps Melissa was misdiagnosed or she had these diagnoses at separate times. For example, perhaps she was diagnosed with schizophrenia but then professionals realized it was really bipolar disorder. The first indications that Melissa was having trouble became evident in the sixth grade. She would later report this is when she started having feelings of depression. During Melissa's senior year of high school, she had a number of problems. Her grades suddenly dropped. She was kicked off of a dance team. Both her best friend and her boyfriend moved away, and she wasn't getting along with family members. Melissa had a string of dysfunctional romantic relationships. In 2002, she obtained a restraining order against her current boyfriend. About a year later, she married a man named Johnny Huckabee. Four months later, she gave birth to her daughter, Madison. In 2004, Melissa and Johnny separated. They divorced in 2005. Melissa accused him of mistreating her, which he denied. 
She eventually moved in with her mother and siblings in the trailer park in Tracy, California. She was unemployed and volunteered as a Sunday school teacher. Melissa had a long history of negative interactions with other people, as well as some criminal behavior. She had a history of verbally mistreating people, harming herself, and setting fires. She was arrested for petty theft in 2006, and again in 2008, she was sent to mental health court after the 2008 arrest. The year before, in 2007, she was suspected of committing two arsons in the place where she was living at the time. In January of 2009, Melissa had taken a seven-year-old daughter of one of her neighbors out of the trailer park without permission. When she returned, the girl appeared to be sedated. Her parents took her to the hospital. They said muscle relaxers were found in her system. Melissa was not charged due to lack of evidence. Melissa had also been accused by her ex-boyfriend. He said that she drugged him, which resulted in him getting arrested for DUI. He was in his vehicle and woke up. He didn't know what happened. In light of the investigation against Melissa, the charges were dropped against this ex-boyfriend. One of the major mysterious elements in this case is Melissa's motive. There's really no question that she was guilty, but why did she do it? At her sentencing, Melissa said, quote, I still cannot understand why I did what I did. Every day I try to discover the motivation, but I still do not have the answer. This is a question I will struggle with for the rest of my life, unquote. Women rarely commit the type of offense that Melissa committed. If she had not inserted herself into the investigation, the police never would have caught her. They were convinced the perpetrator was a man. Let's take a look at the different theories about Melissa's motive. Theory number one. Melissa's motive was gratification, much like the expected motive if a man had been the perpetrator. Perhaps murder wasn't the plan. Melissa was seeking gratification and then realized that Sandra would tell somebody, so she murdered her to keep her silent. This theory would explain the assault portion of her crime, which she has always denied, but this is an unlikely motive for a female perpetrator. Theory number two, Melissa wanted to eliminate Sandra because Sandra spent a lot of time with her daughter. They would frequently play together. Melissa said that Sandra would come by the trailer 15 times a day to play with her daughter. Perhaps Melissa was jealous or simply annoyed. She committed the crime in the way that she did in order to get investigators to focus on a male perpetrator. She understood the bias of law enforcement officers and knew that she could easily get them off of her trail and looking for a man. This is consistent with Melissa pointing investigators to several possible male suspects in the neighborhood, like she was trying to help out the police. This theory is also supported by Melissa allegedly drugging another girl and her ex-boyfriend prior to the murder. Moving to theory number three, Melissa committed the murder because she was having a manic episode and was psychotic. With bipolar disorder, people have both manic and depressive episodes. When somebody's really manic or really depressed, they can become psychotic. It's actually quite common with bipolar disorder. This would explain her unusual and bizarre behavior. This is a possible explanation, but Melissa was highly organized during her crime. She seemed to be following a plan that she had carefully developed. She did not appear to be suffering from hallucinations or delusions. Theory number four, Melissa was seeking attention. Perhaps she was having symptoms similar to those consistent 
with factitious disorder imposed on another, which has also been referred to as Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Melissa's daughter had a disproportional number of visits to the hospital, as if Melissa was making her sick, to seek attention. This theory is also supported by Melissa's intrusion into the investigation. She wanted to be recognized as a victim. Her suitcase was stolen. She found the note, which would have been a troubling discovery. She was a victim too. She wanted people to feel sorry for her, even though a young girl had died. She didn't understand how people felt. She couldn't empathize. She somehow believed that she could pull the attention away from the actual murder victim onto herself. The police suggested that after her frantic behavior, when she was pointing out the location of the note, she quickly calmed down, as if it had all been an act. When considering all the evidence, how would I rank these theories? I would say that theory number four is the most likely, attention-seeking. I think that Melissa wanted attention, but she also wanted to get rid of Sandra, specifically. After theory number four, I would move to theory number two, jealousy, theory number one, gratification, and finally theory number three, mania with psychosis. Now moving to my final thoughts. As the police and the FBI were investigating, they found a wealth of suspects in the trailer park, several men with a history of offending. It did not seem like a safe place for Sandra or any other girl, yet it would be a very unusual female criminal who took her life. Among other lessons, this case is a cautionary tale about jumping to conclusions during an investigation. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.